Chris, welcome to episode 155 of X-Labs And uh, it's been a minute since I last made a comment that this might be the shortest episode of X-Labs in quite some time But, uh, well, this might be a fairly short episode We don't have a mailbag this time And the issue we're going to be discussing is one that I really don't have a whole heck of a lot to say about um, Other than the fact that uh, I found it to be kind of a mess and I think if I were to repeat that over and over again, it would uh, eh, it probably wouldn't do anybody any good. So let's get into it, see what we can make of this. Today we are discussing Excalibur, Volume 4, Number 17. Now this had a March 2021 cover date, stories called QE3, which I'm taking to uh, mean Queen Elizabeth III, maybe? I don't know. Written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus Toe, colors Eric Arshaniga, letters VCs Ariana Marr, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits Bisa White Sabolsky, cover price $3.99 American, and this went on sale January 27th of 2021. Now, this one has a uh, fairly interesting cover. It's uh, Betsy as a queen. Um, I think we saw this, or a similar portrait of this in the final pages of the previous issue here. She's just all, you know, dolled up like a like a queen. Uh, now we open, and we're in London, with uh, Reuben What's-His-Face from the Coven visiting with Pete Wisdom, who is uh, looking as aloof as ever, which makes me figure that this guy must be really, really good at his job, because, I mean, he's just the worst. Who, who'd want to hang out with this guy? Now, it's been ages since we've seen Reuben or anyone having to do with the Coven Akaba, and I can't say that I'm happy to see him again. But, if we got to pick between the Coven and Otherworld, and it looks like we have to, I suppose I'll begrudgingly give old Reuben the nod. Anyway, he's here to find out what happened to Captain Britain. Wisdom doesn't know. And he also shrugs off his and Betsy's sort of kind of romance as nothing more than tabloid BS. Reuben then shows a group of photos of the heretical Captain Britain Corps, and of course those are the ones that look like Jubilee, Richter, Gambit, and Rogue. Not sure quite how he got these pictures, but uh, I don't know. Whatever the case, Pete hasn't the foggiest idea who these characters are. Reuben suggests that Wisdom head to Krakoa to do some digging, which isn't exactly music to our kitty to flowerer's ears. Uh, worth noting, I guess Pete's trying to give up smoking, like, you know, the, little, the good little uh, Warren Ellis character that he once was. Instead, he's shown sucking a lollipop throughout the issue. Double-page spread of roll call and cred. We're going to be paying attention to Betsy Britton, Rogue, Gambit, Jubilee, and Richter. 
Poor Pete Wisdom doesn't even get a spot in the roll call. Huh, that's sad. Info page. And boy is it. Now, um, this one took a few tries. And uh, we're going to try to figure this out together here. Uh, This appears to be a letter to Betsy from the Queen of England, who is apparently also a member of the Captain Britain Corps. Um, Like the Captain Britain Corps that's been around for like five minutes now? Uh, It's asking Betsy to return home to her home dimension as her presence threatens the peace of the place. And I'm thinking that this is in the other dimensions. This is the other dimension's Queen of England writing to Betsy, knowing that she's there. So now this dimension's England is something of a mutant safe haven. So kind of like Krakoa, only without the psychic power siphoning and underlying nastiness, I suppose. All right, so... I guess we are to assume that this Betsy, the one that we saw wake up at the end of last issue with a version of Warren Worthington, is our Betsy, like the real one, the 616 one. I mean, it stands to reason, kinda. But at the same time, uh, over the past couple of issues, we've seen like several dozen flavors of Betsy Braddock showing up in this book, so we'll just hope. From here we go back to comics and we see Betsy reading the same note that we just tried to get through. I think. Or is this Queen Betsy who wrote the damn letter? Um, I'm either an idiot or this is just a little bit too obtuse, perhaps a little bit of both. Whatever the case, we also learn here that uh, Pete Wisdom is the Prime Minister. So in this other dimension, I'm not sure what number it is, but it's another dimension. Now, Angel and Betsy talk about the benefits of having a queen who is both mutant and a member of the Captain Britain Corps. And Betsy kind of, like, condescends to him, stating she doesn't care to get into the nitty-gritty of the multiverse with him. To which he reminds her, he's like, hey, you know, I did spend most of my life as an X-Man. To which Betsy takes this to mean that he's aware of her tendency to body hop. So, I mean, we know about the body hopping of Betsy Braddock, right? But is this, like... Does this mean that our Betsy is in the body of Queen Betsy? Did I somehow miss an issue in the middle of this one? Uh, uh, they talk some more. Well, they, they talk a lot, actually. Betsy mentions that she and Warren were once together, which is true. They did hook up in the early 90s for a bit when Betsy was in her Quanon body. They pass a window where they can see a whole bunch of supporters holding signs, uh, you know, all hoping that the Queen gets well. They see Warren lied to the press, telling them that the Queen that Queen Betsy was a bit under the weather. He just never expected that her people loved her quite this much. And I'm really not sure what the point of any of this is. Betsy then looks into her tea, and the leaves have formed the shape of... I don't know, a star? Like the scar around Cable's eye? Um, maybe her old psychic blade? I mean, hell, it might even be a sign that she's about to join the Star Sapphires, for all I know. She tells Warren that uh, it's time to execute their plan because she's got to get, wait for it, to Otherworld. So we get the Coven and Otherworld in the same friggin' issue? And somehow it's Cable that's getting cancelled? Now since Betsy does not have the sword or amulet, she's going to have to make her way to the lighthouse, which has a ready-made portal to get out of here and go to Otherworld. Warren suggests that Betsy will need someone to cover her and make sure she gets in unseen. And so he makes a call to his ex-wife. Any guesses? Yeah, her name is Quanon. 
We jump back to Krakoa, where the remaining members of Excalibur are preparing to move into the 616 version of the lighthouse to await Betsy's eventual and hopeful return. Now, they figure that uh, it'll probably be the way she comes back, right? If, in fact, she does come back, she'll probably turn up at the lighthouse. Now, before they can step through the portal, however, Pete Wisdom arrives to bore us some more. Well, Pete's actually planning on going with them. He'd like to check out Otherworld and see if he can find Betsy himself. Rogue tells him to pump the brakes and reminds him, and maybe a reader or two, that the stakes are different in Otherworld, and that resurrections stemming from deaths there are a bit hinky. She then offers for Excalibur to escort Pete to Avalon, uh, should he really want to go there. Pete mentions the coven, and all of our characters fall fast asleep. Okay, okay they don't. Uh, Richter even looks a little bit excited. Um, now, Pete tells them that about the heretical Captain Britain Corps, and he assumes that they're all fake. After all, they're not even British. Gambit informs them that, nah, they real, honey child, and uh, Rogue pipes in that they're a product of that weirdo Jamie Braddock, to which Pete's all enough said. Pete informs the team that, since Betsy's vanished, the intel community are beginning to listen to what the Coven Akaba are saying. Saying about what? Who knows? I mean, they're, they're witches. Uh, the government is... Um, okay, now, during this exchange, it would appear as though Rogue is as confused on the topic of whether we call it England or Great Britain or the UK as I am, which is uh, comforting in a way. Now, Pete mentions that Reuben What's-His-Face didn't have his little witch with him during their meeting, and, of course, he's referring to the scariest PTA mom ever, Marianna Stern. On the way to the lighthouse, Pete gets laid. As in, the young mutant curse attempts to give him a lay, since it's uh, his first time to Krakoa. So, like, I'm talking about the, you know, the floral necklace. Now, Wisdom is quite freaked out by this, and it's in an over-the-top sort of way, which really only works for me when it's Mr. Sinister being scared at the sight of Nanny. Nice try, though. Info page. Now... Looks like the lighthouse on whatever Earth Queen Betsy is currently on is not so much an old-fashioned, you know, block-and-spackle lighthouse, but a state-of-the-art intelligence agency. Now, the director of this place is Alison Stewart, who in our world was part of the WHO, and if I'm remembering right, the focus of a Kitty Pride crush. Now, we rejoin Betsy and Quinan as they're choppering into this lighthouse. Now, Betsy's got a lot of questions for Quinan, but Quinan ain't all that keen in talking. You know, she's just here to do a job, not to make friends with her ex-husband's new girlfriend. Betsy says she's going to ask some questions anyway, and if Quinan wants to answer, well, she's more than welcome. Let's jump back to the 616 Lighthouse. Excalibur and Pete Wisdom have arrived, only to find Marianna Stern and the Coven attempting to destroy the place, and also destroy the gateway inside. Why? Who knows? Something-something witch breed, I guess. Now, Rogue tells her to back off because this is Braddock land. Stern demands that they show her a Braddock, then. (laughs) I'm not a worldly guy, but is this how land ownership goes in England? Or Great Britain, or the UK, or wherever we are? Do you actually risk losing your home and land every time you, like, go to work? Or head to the store, or leave on vacation? Do you actually need to, like, physically be there to say, Hey, I own this land, this is my land. This is... This isn't very good. Anyway, they fight. Stern and the gang manage to grab Richter and some yellow hoodoo, and it almost looks like Primus's stretchy bits from the Juggernaut mini. They then lock themselves in a force field. Let's hop back to Betsy. 
Now, as she and Quinan fight their way into the compound, Quinan tells her that she'll answer only three questions. So this is kind of a really sad genie thing, right? So Betsy's first question is, is there a Krakoa on this earth? Quinan says, yeah, it's that old mutant island, but no one ever goes there. But, alas, it does exist. Betsy's second question is, how is my brother? She doesn't specify which one. Uh, Quinan says that he's the head of the British space program. Again, I don't know if this is that weirdo Jamie or beautiful Brian, because no one specifies and nobody cares. Betsy's third and final question is, have you always lived in your body? To which Quinan says that's a waste of a final question. But by now, the girls have made their way to the portal, and it looks kind of well, now it looks exactly like a star sapphire. Betsy tells Quinan that uh, she was once forced to wear her body, and Quinan is under the assumption that Betsy is currently occupying the body of the Queen anyway, so this isn't all that much of a surprise, though she does take it as kind of a threat. And she even goes as far as to shove Betsy through the portal just to, you know, get rid of her, but Betsy reverses the shove into a hip toss. They struggle for a bit before Betsy just gets up and steps through the portal, and she apologizes to Quinan, though... I mean, this Quinan isn't the one who needs it. I mean, hell, even the real Quinan's got to know it wasn't Betsy's decision to occupy her body by this point, right? I mean, that's their only damn story. They, we've been through this. Uh, anyway, back to the lighthouse. Excalibur is, sadly, getting trounced by the coven. But then, Betsy rises from the water, which, for some reason, ends the fight. Uh, Rogue tells Mariana that Captain Britain is back before telling her to literally get. And that's that. Next episode, Wolverine places a bid at the Legacy House. So uh, looking forward to that. But let's uh, let's talk about this. Now, when we started this project uh, going on seven months ago, wow, it is a long time now. Seven months ago, we started this project. And uh, one of the things that I said right out of the gate was that I was worried that uh, the Hickman stuff was going to make me feel dumb because it's all the high concept stuff, a lot of stuff that uh, I just don't think I'm uh, intelligent enough to process. <laughs> and uh, while some of it's gone over my head, I, can, I can't say that I you know, haven't understood it. I never would have guessed that reading Excalibur would make me feel even dumber because I am like beyond lost here. And it's become almost a meme on this show now, or a trope for me to say, like, hey, it feels like I missed an issue. But this feels like like several pages out of the middle of this book fell out. I don't understand why any of this is actually going down the way it is. I mean, I've, re- I've read confusing or experimental comics before, but even in, like, the most, like, obtuse forms of storytelling... There's, there's a feeling of, like, organic progression. This book doesn't have any of that. This is, here's a scene, here's a scene, here's a scene, here's a scene. There's nothing really linking anything together, and maybe it's just me. Maybe other people are really, really loving this, uh, this way of telling stories here, but it's, it's been a tough follow from the very start. Like, these scenes don't segue into other scenes. These scenes just stop. They don't even end. They just stop. And I, I'm i having a heck of a time. <laughs> I'm really having a heck of a time here. Added to that, we're dealing with topics that I really don't care about. Uh, again, that's not a fault of the creative team here. They clearly 
have a story that they really, really are passionate about and want to tell in this Coven Akaba and Otherworld sort of mess. I'm not interested in witchcraft. I'm so beyond exhausted of Otherworld. I don't know why after, this is what, 17 issues of this book, we're still trying to... We're still trying to present Betsy in this new role when... How legitimate can we take her when it's taken them nearly two years to... I mean, they haven't even convinced us yet that she belongs in this role. It's it's all it's all magic. It's all a wizard did it, you know? It's like, how do we know she deserves this? Well, all the Captain Britain Corps have purple hair now. Okay, well, what has she done to earn the title? I don't know. But here's two years' worth of stories where she's trying to prove it over and over and over again. It's just not a fun story. And I mean, and we're still still dealing with Quanon. We're still dealing with the body hopping. I, I, can we can we be done with that? I mean, even Quanon seems like she's done with that in Alien's book. Can we just be past this for now? It's something that happened a quarter century ago, longer than a quarter century ago, right? I mean, this is ancient history. Can we just let it be and move forward? We don't need the Betsy and Quanon thing. I'm just glad we didn't see any butterflies here today. I, I didn't like the scene between Betsy and Quanon where she was asking the questions, mostly because the questions, you got to consider, I mean, I don't know how much of an opportunity it is to ask an alternate version of someone whose body you once occupied some questions, especially when their world might have very little bearing on your own. So, I mean, what's really the point? But you're given three questions and you waste them by asking some of the dumbest stuff you could possibly ask. Is Krakoa here? Who cares? Yes, no, maybe, who cares? It doesn't make a damn bit of difference. How is my brother? Well, first, which one? And second, who cares? It has nothing to do with anything. In fact, the only question that gets dismissed as a waste of a question was the only one that I feel had any sort of, maybe not so much value, but uh, I was kind of interested in hearing a response. Uh, Not that, you know, I was expecting anything mind-blowing, because I don't know that we'll ever see these people ever again, and I kind of hope we don't. But it just seems like such a wasted opportunity here, and just more angst for uh, for Betsy, more angst for an alternate version of Quanon. I mean, what's what do we come out of this with? Not a whole heck of a lot. This just filled pages and did so in a uh, kind of mind-numbing way. Should we talk about the Coven? <laughs> well, first, let's talk about um, our Excalibur team here, or as I think I've been calling them, the round pegs they're trying to shove into square holes here. What does Rogue, Jubilee, Gambit, and, and Richter care about magic? I mean, Richter, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you. He's doing this whole druid thing. He was, uh, you know, studying under Apocalypse, trying to cast spells here. What the hell does Rogue care about the, the Coven? Why does Jubilee care about the Coven? Why does Gambit care? They, they shouldn't. They really, really shouldn't. I, this could be done with any number of characters on Krakoa. We could pick any random five characters, and they could be slotted into these roles. There's no intrinsic reason for it to be Rogue Gambit Jubilee. It could be anybody, which to me kind of takes the wind out of the sails for this book. Um, We've talked before where they have done little kind of interpersonal scenes with these characters, and it's like, okay, this is pretty well done. You know, it's pretty well done stuff here, but 
at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who they are. I think that's where I'll stop now because I think I'm just uh, becoming more and more repetitive here. I just keep uh, I keep rehashing the same point over and over again. If this was not a completionist project, X-Lapsed, um, we wouldn't be talking about this book anymore. That said, uh, Marcus Toe's work is very, very nice. So at least it's uh, really, really good to look at. But that is uh, where I'm going to leave it for our discussion of Excalibur. Uh, if you agree, disagree, please feel free to reach out to me. And uh, that would usually take us to the mailbag, but uh, the mailbag is empty today. So we will not be talking about any mail. However, I would like to talk about um, a little conversation we're having over at the Facebook group right now. It's 90s X-Men on Facebook if you want to join in on the discussion. Uh, Evan Bevins had asked if anybody had any thoughts about who our new X-Men team was going to be uh, comprised of. Now, if you're following along, you know that there was like a online voting so we can name the final member of this team. And they're going to be unveiled during the Hellfire Gala, which we will be taking a look at in June of this year. So less than three months from now, we should know exactly who is on our team here. But Evan was wondering if anybody had any hot takes here, and I figured I'd share mine. And I would invite everyone else to share those as well, either on Facebook or, you know, any way you want to get a hold of me. And uh, we're working under the assumption here that Polaris is going to win the vote because uh, she was ahead by quite a bit. And we're also going to assume that our team will top out at eight members because I think we, we couldn't remember if there was a hard and firm number on it, but uh, I think we're all in agreement on the group that... Uh, that it was going to be seven members plus whoever wins the vote. So, eight members. And let's go through my picks for the eight team members of the new X-Men. One, Cyclops. Obviously, it's going to be Cyclops. He is, uh, you know, starting the team along with two, Jean Grey or Marvel Girl, whatever you want to call her. So, those are our first two members. Goes without saying. Third member, I picked X-23. Uh, you need a Wolverine on the team, and it looks like from you know the covers of some upcoming issues of X-Men that she and uh, Darwin and Sink will be coming out of the vault pretty soon. And since the real Wolverine is uh, busy in like you know Skate 800 other books during the month, maybe we just give this one to uh, to old Laura there. I don't know if she'll be going under the Wolverine moniker. This era of books seems a little confused as to whether or not she wants to do that. Uh, when we read Fallen Angels, she wanted to be out of Wolverine's shadow and, uh, you know, wasn't even wearing the Wolverine costume anymore. Then in X-Men, when she went into the vault, she was calling herself Wolverine wearing the Wolverine costume. So, who knows? But uh, she is my pick for the third member of this team. The fourth member of the team, I'm picking Dazzler. Now, I'm picking Dazzler for kind of a snarky reason, but at the same time... One that I could totally see coming together here. Now, I feel like every writer for the past, make 15, 20 years, has taken a swing at legitimizing Dazzler. I compare this to uh, Jeff Johns trying to prove that Aquaman isn't a joke. And then from that point on, everybody who takes a swing at Aquaman has to tell the same damn story about how Aquaman isn't a joke. I feel like that's what we're going to do with Dazzler. I feel like uh, Hickman might want to take his swing. At uh, legitimizing Dazzler and making her a force to be reckoned with here My fifth team member is Kid Cable uh, That all comes from the recent issue of Cable Where uh, Scott pulled him aside and said he wanted to talk to him about uh, starting up the team So I took that as meaning 
hey, maybe uh, maybe it'll be him. Sixth, I'm picking Vulcan because he's got some ties to space. Hickman likes space. And Vulcan hasn't, uh, you know, outside of the deadly genesis, he hasn't really been a member of, uh, of a you know, legitimate frontline X-Men team. So I think Vulcan might be an interesting pick there. Uh, for my seventh pick, I have just a random Araki. I don't know if it'll be Iska the Unbeaten. I don't know if it'll be anybody. I don't. It might be an Araki that we don't know yet. It might be a way of kind of uh, spreading the sphere of influence of the X-Men to both islands. It might be a olive branch sort of a thing, or it might be a thing where the Iraqi is trying to uh, do a little bit of spy work and maybe sabotage some of the uh, the X-Men's plans. So I'm thinking that we will probably see an Iraqi on the team. I uh, don't know which one. I think I'd like for it to be Iska, but uh, I don't know exactly which one. And rounding out our team in the eighth position will be Polaris, who's going to win the uh, fan vote here. I did not vote for Polaris, uh, mostly because I wanted to see Banshee win. I, I I never seen Banshee as you know an actual you know full fledged X Men character. He was with the team relatively briefly, you know, just around giant size, and kind of kind of flitted off after that, you know, kind of being the elder statesman, and then moving over to Muir Island with Mora. Stuff like that. So I thought it'd be neat to see him, like, actually on an X-Men, you know, Strike Force team. Um, Polaris, I I like her in uh, an X-Factor too. So I wouldn't have voted for her because I don't want her pulled from the X-Factor roster. But I mean, we are dealing with we're dealing with you know characters who were on all different books, all different times. So for all I know, Polaris could be on the X-Men, X-Factor, Fallen Angels, Volume Three, Avengers, Savage Avengers. Who knows? So. Uh, that is my team. Cyclops, Marvel Girl, X-23, Dazzler, Cable, Vulcan, Anaraki, and Polaris. Again, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this subject here, and maybe you guys know something that I don't. I try to stay away from the news sites, so maybe Marvel has told us who, uh, who this team's going to be comprised of, all except for the you know top-secret vote-winning uh, member there. If that's the case, hey... Let me know. You can get a hold of me very, very easily. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can also find X-Lapsed Origins over there. That's an ongoing series of articles uh, taking a look at seminal moments that still inform these books to this very day. Some uh, stuff we're looking at right now are the early Captain Britain stories, and uh, I actually floated a question out to the Facebook group about who should we take a look at next. And it looks like when we're done with Captain Britain, we're going to be taking a look at Nanny and the Orphan Maker. So we're going to talk about their history, we're going to take a look at some of their uh, more pivotal moments, and hopefully learn a little bit more about them. Because those are characters that I feel like a lot of us know, but don't really know enough to talk about it, myself included. You know, I know that uh, Nanny's the egg-shaped thing, and I know that Orphan Maker wears that armor. I can't tell you a whole heck of a lot more than that. So we're going to all learn this stuff together, and I'm looking forward to that, and I hope you are as well. So that is chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. There's also xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, where you can uh, find all the show stuff. Uh, There's, of course, the Facebook group, 90s X-Men on Facebook. Join in the conversation if you'd like. And for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. We're available on all your noise aggregation... How do I put it there? Noise aggregation devices and applications. Yeah, that's what I try to say. 
one of these days I'm going to get through this without having to like edit and pause and stuff like that. But uh, today is not that day. Anyway, I uh, think we'll wrap it up right here before I uh, totally swallow my tongue. I'd like to thank you all so, so much for letting me be part of your day today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.